You could have looked at my list. You could have read my list like a month ago. I, I could have. I'm aware that you did it. And I think I'm aware that you put Spider-Verse and a couple others. Like, I'm sure we'll have a, a, a fair amount of overlap. Um, but then also vile divergences. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and I'm still recovering from one of the worst drives I've ever had to do to get uh, home from my in-laws after uh, Thanksgiving this uh, this past weekend. I feel like you should have stayed in Minnesota for longer. So what we really should have done is left the day earlier. Um, we knew a storm was coming through, but we were like, eh, it's going to blow over overnight. You know, it'll still be snowing in the morning, but that'll be okay. And then it was, it, we kind of followed the storm the whole way home. So it like never stopped snowing the entire drive. Uh, and roads up in Northern Minnesota weren't really plowed after eight inches of snow. So that was, uh, exhausting. Uh, I think several years ago more than five but less than ten mm-hmm. uh bill and i were up in minnesota for a weekend and the day we were supposed to come back it started snowing and my aunt said just stay with us for tonight you can go back tomorrow and i was like no i have class tomorrow also work we'll make it it'll mm-hmm. be fine it's mm-hmm. not snowing too hard mm-hmm. um cut to blizzard mm-hmm. uh highways closing <laughs> and us getting pushed um into a roadside like la quinta hotel for oh, the night God. because we physically were not able to continue driving that happened to me a few years ago also like driving up for thanksgiving uh where we had to stop in duluth for the night because it was like yeah could not physically keep going um pros about this it was daytime at least instead of nighttime so that was that makes better. it that makes a huge difference <laughs> it really does um but yeah, you know, 10 hours later, we got back to Milwaukee in one piece, and that's fine. Uh, so, uh, joining me, as always, as you've already heard, is my co-host. Uh, my name is Martha Sullivan, and this is an official Baby Yoda fan account. Ooh, I don't want to hear any complaints from anybody. Yes. Um, have you seen the, uh, the genius people on Twitter who've been um, turning that whole bit where he's playing with the, the buttons on the spaceship into him turning on music and Mando? turning the music off i have not seen that iteration of it but that sequence is the best scene of the show so far i i um, and one of the also, examples and i, I believe, recommend you go check it out yes also i believe it is the most accurate representation of parenting that i have ever seen on a tv show <laughs> yes yes indeed don't touch that <laughs> immediately touches it <laughs> yes we're all here for uh, baby yoda and for the uh two and a half samurai episode i think that uh most recently aired that was also what i compared it to yeah uh before I was th- like, and here is our here is our mandatory seven samurai episode before the episode started i i was like oh i'd, I'd be happy if this is just a nice little lone wolf and cub episode and then it became a, a seven samurai episode which i'm always here for well basically the whole show now is lone wolf and cub right so right well, uh, other than talking about uh, Baby Yoda this week, we're going to be talking about our top 10 movies of the decade. We've each compiled our lists. It's uh, getting near the end of the decade, so it's time for our, you know, legally required retrospective. Um, before we get into that, though, we're going to be talking about what is in our head. So, Martha, 
I think I know what's in your head, because uh, it's in my head too, but you've got a uh, priority on it. I love movies about rich people that hate rich people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're talking <laughs> about, about Parasite, right? <laughs> I haven't seen Parasite yet, although that also, I believe, falls into this category. Yes. No, what's stuck in my head this uh, this week is Knives Out. Yes. The newest Ryan Johnson movie. Um, I do want to say, I having seen the movie now, I'm mad about the second trailer release. Because until that trailer, I thought that we were basically doing, like, a locked room murder mystery. Mm. And if I hadn't seen that trailer, which if you haven't seen it, I recommend avoiding it before you go see the movie. Um, But the world of the movie is actually much wider than that. And Mm -hmm. I think it would have been a more effective, not necessarily reveal because it's not like a secret, but my expectations were so thoroughly for one thing and it ended up like blowing those wide open. Mm -hmm. Um, And it would have been cool if I hadn't already known like, oh, and then this is going to happen. Right, right. However, I loved this movie. This movie easily fits into my top 10 of the year. Probably not of the decade, um, but absolutely of the year. Everyone is perfect in it. Um, If I had a couple of nits to pick, I think there are a couple of ideological points that Johnson hammers maybe just slightly too hard. Um, and I thought it was weird that they didn't just let Daniel Craig be British instead no. of being no, no, no. Southern. I loved his Foghorn Leghorn accent. I he was doing something totally different, and I loved it. I am very concerned that they only made him be Southern so that Chris Evans could have his CIA KFC line, <laughs> which I don't think was good enough to justify that. I don't know. His name is Benoit Blanc, which is a pretty amazing like Southern kind of name. I'm just saying. Um, no, I thought it was hysterical. Um, the lead actress, who is... Uh, Anna Darmus. Her face acting is so good. Yes. Um, she was also the hologram robot in Blade Runner 2049, yes. I believe. Yes. Um, and yeah, just she does some really incredible, like, subtle face work. Um, in this movie like she she has to feel her own feelings and what she's pretending to feel and the conflict that she has to pretend to feel these things um and yeah i just thought everybody turned in a great performance yeah i i don't want to talk about this movie too much because i think going in with like as little knowledge as possible is the way to go but i agree with you 100 percent that um the script is incredible. Uh, the acting, like, every single actor in this movie is clearly having an excellent time at it. Um, and it just kind of shows. Is so good. I, they're all so good. Um, the costuming and styling is impeccable. Um, and uh, Daniel Craig in his, like, Southern Patrician accent gets to talk about uh, a donut with a hole with an even smaller donut inside that hole. Uh, which just the, the, the metaphor imagery he evokes is something else but yes along with ready or not which also came out this year i'm really enjoying uh these films that are funny and also just incredible send-ups of uh really terrible rich white people Mm -hmm. well it's it speaks in a way i i was talking about parasite a few um episodes ago is what's in my head and i compared that to um us 
which is not a send-up about rich white people, but it is a horror movie about class. And I think well, that that's I mean, a, a through line of, of a lot of the really interesting and innovative films of 2019 is, is the look at the class dynamics. Well, and Get Out is very much, mm. again, in this. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Get Out, Ready or Not, and um, Knives Out are all very similar in that they deal very specifically with one rich white family in that rich white family's house. Hmm. Um, Ready or Not doesn't have the racial element. And I, I haven't seen Ready or Not out. yet, but. Oh, you should. It's fun. Yeah. I, um, it may be the weakest of the three, but they're all three very good. I, I mean, yeah, when the other two options are Get Out and uh, Knives Out, I'm pretty okay with that being the weakest of the three. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, and, and Get Out and this kind of have a lot of similar things where it's like, I'd vote for Obama a third term and, uh, we, we all love the housekeeper. She's from, insert whatever Latin America country you want her to be from. That, that was the best running gag in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is stuck in my head this week is a book that I'm just getting around to reading, uh, The Three Body Problem. Uh, it, this is a Chinese sci-fi book by, uh... Lu Shishin, I believe is, is how you pronounce his name, and then translated into English by Ken Liu. Um, it's really hard sci-fi in the sense that it's, you know, deeply physics. Um, and it also strikes me as being distinctly Chinese. The cadence of the writing reminds me of watching, like, a Chinese uh, movie. Um, I, I don't really know how to describe it other than that. Um, it's fascinating both for the, the sci-fi elements of it and also for the, like, Cult, like the Chinese cultural elements of it, it begins during the Cultural Revolution, and one of the main characters is a uh, astrophysicist who sort of like survived through during the Cultural Revolution, which was not a great time to be an astrophysicist or an intellectual of any stripe. Um, but then the rest of the book, it was published in uh, 2008, and it's set you know contemporaneously to then, so um, you know call it 10 years ago. Um, I like this has been getting rave reviews ever since it came out in the US uh with its translation uh, in 2014. Um so I'm just adding, you know, I'm I'm singing to the choir here, uh preaching to the choir here. Uh when I say that it's a phenomenal sci-fi book and I'm already looking forward to what, uh reading the next two um books in the trilogy. Can you run that title past me again? The Three Body Problem. Three Body Problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is some like physics is it about, problem. Like... Is it about, like, artificial intelligence? No, it's about first contact. Um, okay. But I kind of don't want to go any more than that. And even then, like, the first contact aspect doesn't really show up until about halfway to, like, two-thirds of the way through the book. Um, it also deals with, with VR and sort of a lot of science mysteries and stuff. Um, I don't feel bad spoiling that it's a, a first contact book because that's, like, in the, you know, the text on the back of the book sort of gives that away. Um, but that's, that's sort of the, the end game of this, uh, book rather than like the opening sequence. All right. Um, yeah, like it's, I, I don't read a whole lot of books in translation. Uh, and this was, this was really fantastic again, not just for like the premise and all the rest of it, but just for like, it feels like it's written by a non-Western person in a, in a way that's really like unique and interesting, like a very different worldview, a very different view of. Um, Americans in America, um, and you know, don't read a whole lot about uh, you know the Cultural Revolution. So getting that sort of angle on it too was was really interesting. 
Yeah, it's one of the reasons I really like watching foreign films. Mm-hmm. I think there's a different, there is a different aesthetic to media that is not produced in America. Yes, um, which I think is really both interesting and also valuable uh, to appreciate and enjoy. Yes. So I will enjoy picking this one up. I don't know when I will do that. <laughs> um, I I kind of feel like Bill will de- would definitely enjoy this, and I'm okay seventy thirty on you enjoying it. 70 that you will. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Uh, Well, we're going to be talking about our top 10 movies of the decade after we take a short break. So stick around and uh, we'll be right back. Um, so we're going to be running through our top 10 films of the decade, uh, and then at the end we each have a little short list of honorable mentions, uh, films that didn't quite make that top 10 cut. Um, I'm going to start, mine are in a rough order, but it's not a, like, uh, you know, swear it in court order, so when we get especially to the top three or four, uh, I'm going to sort of give them in a specific order, but that's not necessarily the order I'd adhere to. Um. I spent a week putting mine in order, so... <laughs> and I spent 30 minutes putting mine in order, so... And writing up a yes. little thing about them. Um, readers, of my, readers of my newsletter will already have seen my list, so sorry. Cool. Uh, <laughs> and how can they subscribe to that newsletter? Uh, by going to tinyletter.com backslash MagicalMartha. You can also read all of my former editions for free. You don't have to subscribe. But if you do subscribe... I get to see that more people like me. Yay. <laughs> the most important thing on the internet. Um, yes. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> All right. Well, for me, clocking in at number 10 is 2018's Annihilation. Um, Annihilation, for me, is kind of standing in for a couple of, like, the heady, mature sci-fi films of this decade. Um, I was really up in the air between Arrival, Ex Machina, Annihilation... Um, I'd even put Interstellar on that list, although, uh, Martha, I know you have different opinions on Interstellar. Um, I love the book that Annihilation was based on, and I think it's an excellent example of adapting the tone and the spirit of the book, well, without, like, adapting the actual events or plot, um, which I honestly think would be completely unfilmable. Um, it's a, it's a, like, somber, sad, philosophical scary sci-fi movie and then the last 20 minutes is is just excellent heady stoner sci-fi um and i also really appreciate the soundtrack which on the one hand has classic sort of sci-fi warm noises um but also has like a cool little bluegrass jangle uh when they're just exploring um area x so uh good interesting heady sci-fi movies that were slept on by audiences annihilation is sort of an umbrella pick for all of those yeah, I loved Annihilation. Um, I have, I actually um, had Annihilation at number 16 mm-hmm. on my list. Um, I tried to read the book, could not get into it. Sure. Um, but I did really love um, 
how I, I love that Annihilation was a woman-led sci-fi movie that is also kind of a stealth meditation on grief and trauma mm-hmm. and how people kind of deal and process with those things. Um, I I think about the scene, I think about Tessa Thompson's uh, final scene, like, a lot. Uh, number 10 on my list is 2012's Carl Urban-led action masterpiece, Dread. Ah, and former homework on this very podcast. Yes, Dread is a perfect action movie. It is tight, it has no fat, it does not care if you understand a lot of the background, um, it has a great villain, it is a, um, an action movie with escalation, both literal and metaphorical, <laughs> uh, and it also features, um, Lena Headey in her, like, most drugged out craziness, which if you've seen Game of Thrones, you know is a pretty bold statement this was her doing like a different kind of like teeth chomping scenery chewing drugged out crazy villain which which i appreciate her like versatility at at all those quadrants um but yeah anytime people whine about um the studios not making r-rated comic book movies i'm like that's because they made one it was perfect and none of you rubes went to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just even like the fact that Carl Urban wears the judge helmet through the whole movie and like does more acting in his chin than. I want to make a Joker comparison, but I haven't seen the Joker, so I can't in good faith right. do that. Right. Um... <laughs> and everyone says that he's a very good, that Joaquin Phoenix is a very good actor in that, so I'm, I won't knock the Joker, which I also haven't seen on acting. I'm also going to double check this next fact before I. Um... Was as you're double checking it, I just like that. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. So, and anybody who wants to tell me that the that Dread is ripping off Raid Two, Raid Two came out in two thousand fourteen. So, hey. Dread is ripping off nothing and no one. Dread is uniquely itself, and I wish that more people had gone to appreciate this one. I like how, uh, and and this will be a recurring theme, I think, on this episode. I like how uh, in this the year or the age of superhero movies, um, so many of these movies feature. Uh, beautiful, beautiful men with their faces entirely or almost entirely obscured. Um, Completely covered. Yeah, and that's not the Marvel movies I'm talking about. That's, like, different movies that are going to show up on this list. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really like Judge Dredd, or Dredd as well. Um, I think it's an excellent, tight, as you said, action movie. You don't need to know anything about it going in, because it kind of gives you all the, the background you need, and then it's it's very small scale, which I appreciate. Well, and it's so simple. Like, the Judge yeah. Dredd universe is complex and has a lot going on. But what is important in this movie? 90% of the population lives in horrible high-rises, and Lena Headey runs a drug empire. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Um, and re- re- innovative uh, cinematography as well, with the speed-up slow-mo kind of thing. Like, well done. Yes. I appreciate good-looking uh, action flick. Um, number nine on my list is also from the year 2018. Uh, Martha and I were talking before we started recording. So many of our movies are from either 2017 or 2018. Uh, we've been having a, a good couple years for, for film. Um, but mine is Roma. Um, 
I saw this in theaters rather than Netflix, and I'm very glad I did because it forced me to, like, not be looking at my phone half the time and really immerse myself in it. Um, and this movie, like, kind of rewards that in spades. There's no real plot to it. Uh, it just kind of follows a family and, and specifically the caretaker uh, slash maid slash nanny slash do everything um, person of this family in 1970s Mexico um, as they have lives. Uh, and it's deeply human and deeply empathetic and just really, really, I don't know, it, it sticks with me in a lot of interesting ways. Um, both the plot and then also just, or not the plot, like individual scenes and the characters and just the feelings that it evoked. Um, and then on top of that, it's a Corion film, so obviously it's an altruistic masterpiece, but it's, it's that in a way that is almost like hidden. There were some incredible long take sequences that I didn't even realize were long take sequences uh, until I was thinking about them later. Um, and I think that more than anything is, is a testament to how well it's crafted. Roma does not appear on my list. Oh, have you um, seen it? Yes. Okay. I saw it in the theater, you Philistine. Oh, right. I, I guess I guess it was up for, for the best picture, so you you were legally required to see it. Actually, I and I'm I'm one I'm not gonna belabor this too hard because I'm absolutely certain that we talked about this on the podcast already. Yeah. Um I saw it at the music box. Hmm. Um AMC did not show it as part of their Oscar showcase because they had a hissy fit about the fact that its Netflix release was Ooh, concurrent to its theatrical. Yeah. Um but no, I this is not on my list because I'm going to be totally honest with you. This was an incredibly well-crafted home movie. And one of my criteria for my list was that I wanted to put on movies that astonished or surprised me in some way. Mm -hmm. And while I think that Roma was a very excellently made movie, it did not do that for me. Sure. For me, this this hit me more on an emotional level rather than a. I mean, like the the filmmaking was obviously astonishing, but in a very simple way. This was more. It resonated with me emotionally in ways that I kind of wasn't expecting. Fair. Um. Yeah. Uh. So my number nine is Wonder Woman. Yay! Oh, that's not even um, on my list. What? Have, what's wrong with me? How? That's how dare you? Going on my runner-up list. Um, it would have been higher, uh, except that I think the third act, the third act brings its average down a bit for me, although mm -hmm. not enough to knock it off of my top 10. Um, but this is a movie that I'm incapable of watching without crying and not even crying because it's sad crying because like when I see that first scene of the Amazons training, I'm just wholly overwhelmed by the vision of all of these powerful diverse women like joyfully um being amazing like joyfully and physically expressing themselves like mm -hmm. for for them you know they they turn uh it, it it really makes me understand what people mean when they compare um fighting or martial arts to dance mm -hmm. and that that there are no men anywhere in that sequence is so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also just, I love Gal Gadot's portrayal. Um, I love that she can be this incredibly strong and powerful soldier 
and also just totally melt when she sees a baby. Mm-hmm. Like I, I thought that was really beautifully done. Um, this was another 2017 movie that I think uh, deserved a best picture nomination. Um, I think it deserved a best uh, director nomination. Um, yeah, it's, it, it moves me in ways that I, that not very many, um, superhero movies do. I appreciated that it was a World War One movie. Um, at the end of this year, we're getting Sam Mendes' 1917, and I, I think there have been a couple other World War One movies either in the works or, or come out recently, and this kind of kicked that off for the, you know, it, it's kind of the Forgotten War, but it's also really one of those peak, like, horrors of war wars. Um, and I, I think that works both like for, for the story that it's trying to tell, which I appreciate, but then just the sequence where she goes across no man's land is, you know, it's a perfect scene. It's a perfect scene. Exactly. Like it's, it is a perfect scene in an imperfect movie. Um, but again, a lot of my criteria for this list was like, what movies have stuck with me? What movies can I revisit? Mm -hmm. What movies do I continue to think about? Which when you're talking about 10 years of film, um yeah yeah i've seen a i've seen a lot of movies in 10 years yeah so i i wanted my list to include movies that i found to be memorable uh and this movie is one that i i think about on a regular basis nice uh well for my number eight speaking of movies that you cry at every single time you watch it i've got 2017's coco um (gasps) yes uh, in a way, for me, Coco kind of stands in for all of Pixar's, like, new movies this decade. Um, Inside Out was definitely a contender, and I was struggling between that and Coco. But I think, I mean, I've seen Coco more recently, and I've also seen it more often, and I think it hits me harder. I think about it more. Um, it's nice that it is, it's telling a universal story in a very context-specific way, in a way that, in like, Inside Out is telling a universal story, but not with with a very important like and specific context that wouldn't work outside of that um i I think it's entire like super important now to be you know i appreciate pixar uh foregrounding a uh, mexican sort of i'd say mexican-american but it's not it's just sort of a mexican sort of perspective and, and story and doing it in a very moving way um and also the first time i saw it all the women in the room uh who i was watching it with were just bawling their eyes out over the father-daughter connection um obviously we all get teary-eyed at pixar movies that's what they do um but this was like literally a different level than i've seen for almost any other pixar movie um and i I think that that is is very telling i don't have any pixar movies on my list Ooh, interesting are are they not even in your top well, 20? And I, nope. Um hmm. I kept wanting to put my two my two favorite Pixar movies came out before 2010. I'm going to go Wally and Incredibles. Close. Uh that would be top 3. No, Wally and Ratatouille. Oh, Ratatouille is um, so yeah, good. Yeah, I kept I kept trying to put Wally on my list and it's like, nope, 2008. <laughs> uh, I also put <laughs> Wally on my list originally. And then <laughs> just like, just like my favorite uh, album of the decade did not come out. It came decade. out in 2004, 2006. <laughs> I think 2006. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Coco is great. Um, I will explain why it is not on my list when we get to number seven. All right. 
Uh, but in the meantime, my number eight is Mad Max Fury Road from 2015. Mm, yes. <laughs> Which, um, again, perfect action movie. Uh, I promise that my list is not completely action films. Um, but this was like... So, you know how if you're watching an action movie and it is just straight action for like two sustained hours and at some point you just get so exhausted that you like tap out? That's what I was worried that Endgame was going to be and I was delightfully surprised when it wasn't. But I know where you're going with this analogy. Yeah, so Mad Max Fury Road has moments of quiet that are perfectly spaced. Like the whole movie is so exquisitely edited it's like as soon as you start to get overwhelmed by the just barrage of effects and action and things happening you get a breath Mm -hmm. and then the movie gives you just enough time to recover before hurling you into another perfectly uh choreographed um car chase scene yeah um it also very directly confronts toxic masculinity in a post-apocalyptic world in a way that appeals to me very deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took some risks with its characters that I, I don't know that I've ever um, really encountered before. Uh, quick spoiler alert for Mad Max Fury Road. Which, if you haven't um, seen that movie by now, come on. I know, but this is I'm, a big I'm shame, one. I'm shaming it... people, but yes. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the spoiler tag. Yeah, um, but when Angerod, who is the pregnant concubine, she is killed in the movie mm-hmm. and is killed in a way that kills her um, extremely developed fetus also. And like, how how often does that happen? Yeah. In a way that I don't feel was exploitative or like, like it's done for shock, but it's also like, part of a moment of her asserting her freedom against the man impregnated her like the whole thing is so well thought out and then like two-thirds of the way through the movie they do the whole movie backwards (laughs) just um i don't know the 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 gall that um the director whose name i uh, george can't yeah like his just nerve and how and all of the practical effects that he used. So which I'm is incredible. still not convinced that this movie. I, so when when this movie came out, some um someone I don't remember who uh said, "I can't b- believe this movie was made, and I can't believe they're not still making it." Um, just based on the the complexity of the practical effects. Uh, and then I remember I left the movie theater thinking like, "There's no way they didn't kill a thousand stuntmen making this movie." Um, they didn't, though. No, they killed no one. No, it's not. This is no Ben Hur. No, I know, I know. It's it's great. Um, this is also on my list. Uh, I I thought that it captured the zeitgeist of the 2010s perfectly. By which I mean environmental destruction, toxic, uh, toxic masculinity, and the patriarchy, and putting Tom Hardy's beautiful face behind some sort of mask. Um, all of these are useful <laughs> themes. Like a lot of the movies. Yes, all of these are <laughs> themes of films in 2010s. Um. Uh, and then finally you have the Doof Warrior, who is, you know, we stand a legend. You, is this also your number eight? Uh, it's my number two. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we'll revisit. 
I'm going to say number two, Mad Max Fury Road in uh, 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. Right. Um, But no, my my number seven. what is your number eight? Well, my number eight was Coco. So my number seven. um, Oh, yeah, number seven. Yeah. Right, because you went first. Uh, Uh Because I went first. My number seven is very similar to Mad Max Fury Road in many ways. It's Logan, uh, 2017's Wolverine movie. Um, the beautiful swan song for Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, and also Patrick Stewart's Professor X, who I don't think has been in any other X-Men movies since then. Um, all X-Men X properties, you know, the, the good ones tend to grapple with serious, heavy themes. Um, and this one isn't just about race or gender or orientation or anything, but it's also about parenting and about um, taking care of aging loved ones who are, like, losing their, you know, various capacities. Uh, it's kind of about immigration in a way, um, uh, and like being undocumented. Um, and then Martha, I'm not sure if you're aware, but it's secretly a Western. It's not secretly <laughs> a Western. I have news for you. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. No, I have this one on my. I have this one in my honorable mentions at 18. Mm-hmm. Um, this one lost points for me because I rate rewatchability is is very high a very high factor for me and i came out of this movie theater thinking that that was an incredible movie that i never want to watch again sure um as far as i know my husband bill will not be making a top 10 movies of the decade but if he did this one would be very very high for him sure sure uh wolverine is is like his third favorite superhero Mm -hmm. um batman what's his number two he feels well, no, actually, Batman's number two. It's Captain oh, America. That, none of these are surprising um, picks. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he feels very strongly now that unless Hugh Jackman is going to play Wolverine, no one should play Wolverine. I feel strongly about that as well. Um, All right, well, what's your number seven? My number, my number seven is... The version of Coco that came first and no one ever, no one else bothered to see in the theater. Uh, the Book of Life from 2014. Oh, also a former homework. Um, yeah, I, I re- so I, I don't actually believe that Coco is a ripoff of The Book of Life. I actually really love that both of these movies about, um, you know, that are kind of rooted in Day of the Dead folklore and celebrate Mexican culture and heritage that both of them exist because uh, they're very different movies. Um, I just, I, and I don't know if it's because I saw the Book of Life first, um, but that one speaks more uh, strongly to me. Mm-hmm. Um, was, that a, was Guillermo del Toro involved in Book of Life? He produced it. Okay. Um, yeah. he That was during his period, and he may still be doing this just i'm not paying as much attention um but he was funding uh movie projects that he wasn't directly involved in but that he believed very strongly in sure um but yeah and i thought that uh if if i was gonna pick a toys come to life movie for this list that came out in 2014 um (laughs) it was not gonna be the lego movie (laughs) oh um no, but just on the strength of like the creativity of the animation, uh, the integration of music into the soundtrack, um, the really beautiful, uh, beautiful visuals, and um, 
you know, the, the really classic story that I think makes a lot of the uh, traditions of the Day of the Dead celebration, like, really accessible. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's a fun watch. That might be, you know, that might ultimately be why I picked this one over Coco, is they're both excellent films, but this one was more fun. Yeah, like less heavy. I have to be, I have to be in, I have to be in a mood to watch Coco. <laughs> um, but Book of Life is more joyful. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. All right. Uh, well, my number six is 2017's Last Jedi. Um, yes. A lot of nerds did not like Last Jedi. A lot of nerds were wrong about their opinions about Last Jedi. Um, they can cry harder. They can cry harder. I enjoy their tears. Uh, Ryan Johnson pushed Star Wars in in totally new direction, both plot-wise and like stylistically. Um, Star Wars has never been as visually or as sonically stunning as Last Jedi. The the throne room fight scene with the red and everything, uh, the battle on Cryot with the the white um, salt flying up in the air, and the dead silence when uh, Holdo. Uh, uh, Kamikaze is the like superstar destroyer. I've Star Wars is many things. It's never silent, and the pin drop, you know, dead silence in the movie theater when that happened was just exploding my brain in the moment. Um, more importantly, it pushed the characters in a totally new direction. Um, I obviously I'm not a big fan of the prequels, which I think might be a generational thing. You and I probably not fans of the prequels, whereas folks five, six years younger than us or more into it. Um, that's what I'm picking up from the internet. Um, I was going to say, was that was that throwing shade at your brothers? No, no. Uh, Mark also, d- well, he has opinions about the prequels. Um, Kev did not like Last Jedi, I think for reasons that I did like it. Um, but like, one of the major themes of this movie was like, let the past die. And I really think that's a good theme for Star Wars to embrace. I have a feeling that they're not going to embrace it for Rise of Skywalker. We'll see. I'm going in with, I'm going in very excited to see another Star Wars movie with all these characters that I enjoy. Um, But like, Let the Past Die is a bold and cool direction for Star Wars to go. And um, I really hope that Ryan Johnson ends up, you know, heading a a different trilogy of Star Wars stuff out in the Outer Rim or whatever. Um, Because his his sensibilities, as as we were spending like 20 minutes talking about Knives Out, is A+. Yes. Um, no, I love The Last Jedi. I have come to love it more, actually. The the more off the like the unsubsequent rewatches and the more that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Like my reaction after seeing it in the theater was that the whole casino scene was um extraneous mm-hmm. and could have just been cut. Um I don't think that anymore. I actually quite appreciate what Johnson is saying. I mean, this I, is I, 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 I think really it I think it could have been tightened up, but I love the shades of gray. Oh, for sure. Um, that it introduces. Well, and none of us should be surprised that Knives Out is the next movie that he made right. after that. Right. Based on that casino scene. Yes. Um, now, The Force Awakens was very close to being on my list. Um, the Force Awakens rather than The Last Jedi, just because that was the Star Wars movie that kind of made me get it. Like... I saw The Force Awakens and I was like, oh, now I understand why everyone's in love with this. I kind of um, didn't realize that you were um, 
were not already on board the Mon Cal Cruiser that is Star Wars fandom until then. I have just always been kind of ambivalent to it. Like, I appreciate what it has done for movies and sci-fi and all of that, mm-hmm. but I, I was not in love with it until, um, until The Force Awakens and until Ray and Finn. Yeah, yeah. Basically. That, I mean, that's, well, that's really then, exciting. Um, you know, that's, and that's what you want movies to do. And then Holdo rolls in in The Last Jedi, and it's like, oh, I would die for her, <laughs> yeah. actually. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and all, all the nerds who are like, who is this character? It's like, shut up, it's Laura Dern with purple space hair. Do whatever the she tells you to do. Holdo, well, and the best thing about Holdo, actually, is I read the, um, there's a young adult novel about Leia um, being a teenager on Alderaan. Mm-hmm. And the, like, train she goes through to take over... Um, or the training she goes through as a princess there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Holdo is in one of her, like, um, boarding school royalty classes. Um, and she's fantastic. I'm she not, is... I, I know you're a big fan of, like, boarding school uh, YA books. It's not my biggest thing, but I would definitely get into that genre not, if, it's, not... if it's Star Wars boarding school teen... <laughs> Uh, teen books. <laughs> it's not. It's not really boarding school. It's more like we have this small group of like five or six, um, elite. children from elite families that all have to learn like bureaucracy and how to pilot starfighters and sure, stuff. Sure. Um, but Holdo is canonically. See, pansexual is not a wide enough term for her because she's basically like, it's all good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which means, obviously, that she and Leia dated at some point. I don't make the rules. That's just how. It, that's just how it goes. <laughs> yep, you are probably not wrong. <laughs> yeah, but no. Um, Claudia Gray, uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, A plus. Do recommend. Um, my number six is 2017's Best Picture winner, The Shape of Water. Oh, adding that to my honorable mentions. <laughs> Because remember that time that a movie about a disabled woman directed by an immigrant about having sex with a fish man who's best friends with a black woman and a gay guy won best picture? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Which, when you string all of those words together, is freaking wild. <laughs> and also Michael Shannon's in it. Uh, oh, being really scary. Yeah, and creepy. I need to watch um, Midnight Special just so I can watch him be, like, not <laughs> terrifying. His, like, billy goat um, beard in Knives Out was definitely, like, doubling down on the creepy look factor. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think The Shape of Water is beautiful. Um, we've talked extensively about how Guillermo del Toro crafts his own modern fairy tales, which mm-hmm. this clearly is. Mm-hmm. Um, in my newsletter, I call him a, a Hispanic Hans Christian Andersen for our time. Ooh. And I think that The Shape of Water really encapsulates like his how much he loves movies and how much he loves the art of cinema and just the care that he takes when crafting his uh, when crafting his fairy tales. I think you're right about Hans Christian Andersen over the Grimm's because his his stuff feels more like 
it sings in a way that the Grimm's don't, but that Hans Christian Andersen does. It's also more romantic than mm-hmm. the the Brothers Grimm. Like right. his his fairy tales are also love stories. Yes, yes. You know, there whether that's romantic love um, in the case of The Shape of Water or platonic love in the case of Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that love element is really important to the stories that he tells. Yes, agreed. Yeah, love The Shape of Water. Um, uh, that is also the only Best Picture award winner that I have on my list. Hmm. Not Mad the Ma- only nominee. Didn't Mad Max win Best winner. Picture, or was that just what I wanted to happen? We wish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, but my number five movie is uh, 2014's Grand Budapest Hotel which is a pretty pure distillation of Wes Anderson. Um, so that's a little bit of a, do you love Wes Anderson or are you not on board with him? Um, Ray Fiennes is, is rarely been better. Um, and then everyone in the movie is incredible, including the two second cameos of all of Wes Anderson's you know favorite actors. Um, and then in hindsight, this came out in 2014, the visuals of a bunch of 30s fascistic symbols taking over a bright pink hotel chateau is um worryingly on point uh but it's also just a deeply fun movie and deeply fun to watch um in it you know in that perfect little uh box of wes anderson way um i don't know the the meticulously crafted little like pastry boxes um that uh shirsey ronan delivers is kind of to me like wes anderson to a t where you will like perfectly arrange you a beautiful little pastry dessert box uh and then you will enjoy it didn't care for this one. Are you a Wes Anderson fan in general, or like was that the hill you had to uh, climb to get here, or was it that this one just kind of missed? I loved the Darjeeling Limited, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, Ooh. and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Ah, uh, sure, Mr. I Fox thought... is a bold one. Darjeeling Limited is a is an unusual love choice. Like, and, and I'm not like I, I, I also like that movie, but just like. Most people who like that are just fully on board with uh, Anderson, so. Yeah, I don't know. This one just, this one was like too Wes Anderson for me. I think, I think that the Darjeeling Limited tempers his, like, uncut artistic vision a little bit. Mm-hmm. Which I, I think that he needs, honestly. Mm-hmm. Grand Budapest Hotel was like pure distilled I, I needed him high to, octane like, Wes Anderson. Yeah, I needed him to pull it back a little bit. Sure. Like I can I can see the appeal of just eating like raw sugar, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I'm gonna enjoy doing it. It doesn't mean it's not gonna make my teeth hurt. <laughs> right, right, right. I, and and one reason I picked this is I think it is a pretty pure distillation of like high octane Wes Anderson, which is definitely, you know, as you say, um sugar by the spoonful. Either your cup of tea or not your cup of tea. Go from there. Uh, sidebar: Did you ever did you see Moonrise Kingdom? Yes. Did I, you like it? I love all Wes Anderson movies. Okay. Um, but no, I I definitely like Moonrise Kingdom is a movie did that I. Did he do Isle of Dogs? Yes, he did. Did you see that one? I did. I love that movie too, although not as much. Um, that was one where I was like. The entire movie of I Love Dogs was, I was like, oh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, but just not as good. Yeah, I think I might be only like, 
I think I I think I'm a Wes Anderson fan, but with like caveats. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um But I also I do appreciate the strength of his vision. I'm like clearly he is a guy who knows what he is going for. His style and his feel is so distinct that I'm never gonna push it on anyone. It's like like you should watch this caveat. It, you will either enjoy it or you will not enjoy it, and both options are fine. It's a pure, like, aesthetic preference thing. If you like meticulously framed and crafted shots where, you know, uh, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel has three different aspect ratios for the three different, like, framing devices it's using, and that's something where I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> um, uh, but then, you know, it's equally fine to be like, ah, it's not doing it for me. Uh, my number five selection is Get Out. Oh, yes. Which I think should have won Best Picture in 2018. Except for 2018, as uh, we've already discussed, was so stacked already with, with you know, high quality films. Oh, it was insane. Um, but also, what has become clear to me is that one of the easiest ways to get me to become a rabid fan of your movie mm -hmm. is to demonstrate very good editing skills mm. um because this movie has no fat on it yes every single beat of this movie serves a purpose and that purpose is to cut you yes um it is very of our time i don't know that this movie could have been made at any other point in time and also i i think that it is the kind of incisive political commentary that will never feel dated unfortunately yeah i like i would love this movie to feel dated but uh that will mean that we have you know fixed many many problems in society <laughs> so yes yeah um, but no, I think that the the fact that this was Jordan Peele's first directorial feature is incredible. Like the control that this movie shows. Um, I, I feel like frequently the first movie that a director makes has a little bit of everything but the kitchen sink feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, sorry, sorry to bother you had this issue a little bit, um, where it felt like Boots Riley was afraid he'd never get another movie. <laughs> I mean, and get out. <laughs> Well, Get Out has one idea that has polished to perfection. Yeah. Um, well, and yeah, the, I, like, I, I, I think that the the perfection of of Get Out is that anyone who's going to see this movie is probably going to be able to identify with at least one of the characters, and that means either you're identifying with Daniel Kaluuya or you're identifying with like you know. Bradley Whitford and his family, and like, boy, the the line well, "I'd vote for Obama for a third term" is incredibly, incredibly relevant and cutting. We all, we all know that person though, yeah. who can say that like utterly without irony, mm -hmm. and then also turn around and be like, but like, do all all lives but matter? I'm entitled, I'm entitled to your body. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I wrestled long and hard with putting either of Jordan Peele's movies on my list. Um, I feel like they're clocking at number eleven and number twelve for me. Um, because I I also loved Us. I'm not sure if you've seen that yet. Um, I have not. Okay. Uh, didn't quite make the cut, but I, I'm really glad that you do have this on here so that we can talk about it. Um, my number four 
is uh, 2017's Dunkirk, which I limited myself to one Chris Nolan movie, uh, and this was a good decade for Chris Nolan movies. Uh, yes, Interstellar included. I like that. Whatever. It's fine. Um, I think that Inception... We can all be, we can all be wrong. It's okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Inception, I think, is a better film, but I think Dunkirk is the most Nolan film that he's made. Um, it's a war movie that's under two hours, which first off, hands raised, hallelujah. Um, and it's also a perfectly impeccably crafted, like, timepiece and interweaving of, uh, you know, timelines, which is very Nolan-y. Um, Hans Zimmer's score, obviously using that, like, talk, or clock ticking noise to reinforce that. Um, and sort of skidding into his strengths, uh, there are no women in this movie in a context where that makes sense, because Nolan's a good filmmaker, but he does not know what to do with women. And so when you just set it on the beach of Dunkirk, you kind of don't need any and you kind of won't have any. And then it's not a, a weakness, but, you know, just a non-issue. Um, also, I did not realize I had a, a abject fear of drowning and getting shot while drowning and getting burned up while drowning. But now I have a fear of all of those things. Uh, also, uh, you put Tom Hardy's face behind a mask. <laughs> <laughs> it's a theme. It is. Um, I do not have Dunkirk on my list, um, although it's an incredible movie. Uh, I do have Inception at number 12. Mm-hmm. Um, was, it, was Inception the only, like, the only uh, Nolan movie on your, your 20? Yes, because Interstellar is garbage, and so is The Dark Knight Returns. I forgot um, that was uh, this decade. Hmm. It, I think it was. Sure, I, I mean, I think it was, too. I saw it in Milwaukee, so it had to be out this decade. And The Dark... Night and was, the dark night was in 2000. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Nolan's, Nolan's only really batting a 500 for me, which, I mean, in baseball terms, is still pretty good. Mm-hmm. But... Um, again, going back to Inception is a movie that I have rewatched a number of times and for a while was finding something new in it every time I watched it. Yeah. For I a think long time I it was one of my it. hangover movies, um, so I watched it yeah. quite a bit. It's one of my I'm sick at home movies. Yeah. Um, I would watch Dunkirk again to get Bill to watch it because I think he would really enjoy it. Oh, he hasn't but... seen it? No. I think he would love it. Oh, yeah. I mean, also, it's, un- it's under two hours, so, like, you know. Don't Is watch, it really? Don't watch two episodes of Stranger Things. Watch Dunkirk once. I think it's, like, an hour. I'm sorry. It might be an hour 40. An hour and 46 minutes. Yeah. I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah. Well, because much like Ma- uh, Mad Max, it's an hour and 46 minutes of pure, unbreaking tension and, like, you are on the edge of your seat and the adrenaline is pumping for that entire time. If it were any longer, I think, like, there'd be people having heart attacks in the theater. Okay. My number four is 2017's, because 2017 was an insane for, year for movies. For a year for movies. Sam Thread. Oh, that was also, that was on my uh, honorable mentions list, and I am happily shocked you've got it on yours. Uh, I heard that this was a movie about the male genius, and I was like, ugh, hard pass. And then I went to see it, and it is such a deft subversion of that. Yes. Like, it was it was a movie where I watched it, and I immediately wanted to watch it again. Yes. Which 
with the knowledge. Like, I don't even want to talk about the heel turn that happens in it, even though this was two years ago. Even though someone's a hungry um, boy. Because it's so good. <laughs> um, but this is another, this one was another top to bottom experience. Like, every every detail is so meticulously crafted. Like, the soundtrack is incredible. The costuming, uh, Johnny, obviously, Johnny Greenwood is of Radiohead funny. did the score, and it's one of my go-to scores. Yeah, the the costuming obviously is unbelievable, um, and Daniel Day Lewis and Leslie Manville snipping at each other. I mean, Leslie Leslie Manville, I think, has one of the top scenes of the decade when they're sitting at breakfast and she's just like, if you mm. fight with me, I'm going to win. Yes. Yes. Oh, she shivers. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, like Paul Thomas Anderson, I, I am down for anything he's making. And this is, you know, one of his best. My only concern is it might've caused uh, DDL to retire and take up, you know, tailoring or whatever but who knows we'll see um yeah this this movie is incredible and i i'm very glad you have it on your list because i was strongly considering putting it on mine um my number three is uh my marvel movie pick um i limited myself intentionally to only a single marvel movie which was tough um, but I ended up with going with 2014's Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Um, hey! That's I, my number two. Hey, cool. Um, <laughs> Endgame was, like, an, an incredible proof that, like, the 10-year gamble of the Marvel Cinematic Universe could totally pay off, but it also requires 10 years of movies to have that, like, you know, emotional heft that it really requires. Um, if you had never seen a Marvel movie and just saw Endgame, it wouldn't really do it for you, so I couldn't, in good faith, put it on my list. Um, Black Panther was also, like, the one vying for this spot. Um, by rights, it could be anywhere else on my list if I weren't limiting this to a single Marvel movie. Um, but honestly, the third act kind of problem that most Marvel movies have struck me harder with Black Panther than it did with Winter Soldier, which was one reason I, uh, I, um, uh, picked Winter Soldier first. Um, but I also picked Winter Soldier because, A, it's the Russo's first Marvel movie, and they've obviously steered the rest of Marvel uh, from there. Um, B, it really kind of cracked what Captain America in the modern day could and should be like. Um, and then C, it was the first time a Marvel movie really felt like something other than a superhero movie. Like, when it came out, all the press releases were that it felt like a 70s, uh, you know, psychological thriller, um, like political thriller, Three Days of the Condor, all that good stuff. Um, and from here on out, lots of other Marvel movies would have, like, the tone of other genres, such as Ant-Man and, and the rest of it. Um, and this was really the first time that Marvel loosened up on their reins a little bit to make that work as well as it did. Um, also, it's just infinitely rewatchable. Every scene in this movie is great. Uh, and it holds up still, you know, five, six years later. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I have it on my list at number two. Um, I think it's, it is the movie that I think took Chris Evans from just truly excellent to iconic. To America's ass. Um, well, no, that didn't happen until... <laughs> 2019? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
No, because like Captain America, I think the surprise of the first Avenger was that Captain America could be corny and cheesy and also excellent, like not in a bad or laughable way. Yeah. And this movie completely dismantles that while also retaining the core of what makes him Captain America, which I think is such an incredible feat of storytelling. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, because like my 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 favorite cap is the one where he's like, American values good, American government. Meh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what that's up with, uh, and this kind of does that very well. Yeah, like he has to decide what it means to stand for the values of America. Like, does mm-hmm. that mean supporting America, or does that mean supporting, you know, his values and ideals and what? believes are the things that are important about america yeah it's almost like if your oath to the constitution is more important than like you know any particular partisan uh, interest that you might have um you know really uh, useful themes to be grappling with in the year 2014 i see what you did um, there yeah uh, also oh, quick sidebar i have like i have black panther at number 13 oh yeah yeah i mean like black panther would be if i wasn't limiting to one marvel black panther might be on my top 10 What's your uh, so number my three? number yeah. three, How to Train Your Dragon. Mm. This is my heart. This is my heart's movie. Mm-hmm. This, um, I am a dragon fan. I have one tattooed on my body. Um, this, uh, this is one of those movies where I like. It is undoubtedly a good movie. I don't know that you can make the argument that it is, it is certainly not perfect. I don't know that you can make the argument that it is great. Sure. Except that it sings to me. Sure. This is the like, 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 like objectively it shouldn't be this high on your list, but emotionally it is. So that's where it goes. Yeah, it is. It is beautiful. The music is incredible. The relationship between Hiccup and Toothless, like Toothless is Toothless was created in a lab, much like Baby Yoda, to appeal to me. Mm-hmm. He is like 50% a bird and 50% a cat and 50% a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Like the the thought that went into how his character model moves and behaves um, is so good. Uh, this is also the movie that I pull out when people want to make the DreamWorks, um, the Pixar versus DreamWorks argument. Mm-hmm. Because I I think this movie can go toe to toe with a lot of Pixar's oeuvre. Sure. Um, this is this is a spot in my list that could have been filled by a handful of different animated films. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other ones I considered were Zootopia, Frozen, Moana, or Wreck It Ralph. I had um, uh, Zootopia definitely high on my my runner up list. And I I had to go with How to Train Your Dragon just because. It is such a part of like my emotional well-being sure. at this point. Like I own, I own multiple physical incarnations of Toothless in my home. Um, I am a little bummed that the trilogy ended up being sort of an experience of diminishing returns. Um, I just watched number three recently, and it it is nothing to write home about. Um, but I do think that that first movie. Um, in how it deals with like familial relationships and identity and uh, like emotional support. It's, it's just, 
I don't want to concern you, but it's possible that the only one of these I've seen is the third one. Um, Are you kidding? Yeah, I know I haven't seen the first one, and and Peter, we we rented. I'm gonna guess the third one six months ago or whenever it came out on DVD, and that's the only one of them I've seen. Well, go watch the first one. Yeah, fair. It's really fair. I mean, it's number three on your list of the decade, so. Um, number two on my list for the decade uh, is a little movie called Mad Max Colin Fury Road. We might have talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anything more useful for us to say than we said 45 minutes ago. Uh, my number two is Captain America Winter Soldier. Great, which good. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> which um, I believe... Do, mean... we have... do we have the same number one? We do have the same number one, and I win by getting there first. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I think both of our number ones then is Spider-Man colon into the Spider-Verse. Correct. Um, <laughs> I wrote up little notes for all of these things, and all, the only note I wrote for Spider-Verse was Spider-Verse! Um, it's a perfect encapsulation of both what a uh, comic book movie should be and a cartoon movie should be, and it is insanely bold and off the wall in a way that I think I, I, I thank Marvel for it, because I think it kind of took the Marvel movies showing that audiences are willing to accept some pretty deep cut like ideas for the producers of this to go to Sony and be like, we're going to do like Spider-Ham and Noir Spider-Man and anime Spider-Man and it's going to be fine. Um, and audiences are going to be okay with that. Also, we all know Spider-Man's origin story. Let's both not rehash that and also rehash that six different times. Um, yeah, no. Spider-Verse is awesome. I have listened to the soundtrack about 800 times. Sunflower! It slaps. Yeah. Um, no, I... So Spider-Verse, I think, started life as a mini-series in the comics where there were um, a bunch of single issues about different, uh, like, different spider characters. Um, it's also the genesis of how popular and incredible Spider-Gwen turned out to be. Yes. Um, but it was a really fun idea in the comic that translated incredibly well to the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about this for our animation episode, but like the experimental nature of the different animation techniques that they used um, and how like the the meticulousness with which they put it together to achieve certain effects it's just it's such a joy to watch um it's also just... like it's it's a perfect comic book movie and it's a perfect i i'd say like it's a perfect like layman's comic book movie too you don't need to have 30 years of of marvel background or even like having seen 10 years worth of mcu movies to enjoy like like hey you know spider-man yeah cool you'll understand what's going on here Mm -hmm. uh so real quick some of my other honorable mention movies Mm -hmm. um i did i did a top 20 because i have no self-control so running down them real quick i have scott pilgrim versus the world that came out this Uh, decade Ugh. Yeah, it was 2010. I, I keep seeing that in another, like, top ten for the decades. I'm like, no, that came out in 2004, didn't it? Um, False. Yeah, yikes. Okay. Uh, the Cat in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Logan. Mm-hmm. The Social Network. 
Annihilation, Lady Bird, What We Do in the Shadows, Black Panther, Inception, and Arrival. Yeah, uh, a lot of those were also on my runner-up list. Um, I have two on my runner-up list that I saw in the past month. Um, I feel like in five years they could both be on my list for the decade, but like I didn't want to put them on now, uh, and that's Parasite and Knives Out. Um, both Jordan Peele's movies, uh, Get Out and Us, were on my list. Uh, the first John Wick was on my list. Um, Cloud Atlas. I haven't seen them yet. Ooh, the first, uh, the second one was fine. The third one was, you know, more of the same. But the first one is delightful. Um, I have Cloud Atlas on my list, which a lot of people did not like, but I kind of like keep gravitating towards it. I, I think it's a really fascinating movie. Um. Wonder Woman, Lego Batman, I really like Lego Batman, um, <laughs> What We Do in Shadows, uh, a bunch of movies that you already had on your list, and then um, a definite deep cut for me was Suspiria. That's a movie that I keep thinking about, um, kind of kind of a niche niche movie, but it, it did some really fascinating things, and, and also uh, just grappling with ideas um, of, you know, cultural... Like, what culture remembers and what it forgets and what society should be culpable for. Um, it, it takes place during the 60s in West Germany, and there's a, a through line of, of someone who's a Holocaust survivor, but who feels guilty about his wife who died during the Holocaust. Um, so it's, it's, on top of its crazy schlocky horror, which is in a dance studio movie, um, which I would also watch 30 episodes of uh, just Dakota Fanning and Tilda Swinton, um, I would also watch uh, Lutz Eberdorf uh, grappling with sort of cultural blame for something that he had nothing to, to be blameful for. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I'm a little concerned about graphic violence. Yeah, uh, there's a couple... Se- the, the final sequence... Listen, I heard about the... I heard about the audition sequence. Yeah, that's the sequence that's going to give you the most problem. You can probably fast forward through that and be fine. The last sequence is so over the top and they throw a red filter on it that at that point you'll probably just be like, eh, this is a cartoon. Um, you would enjoy the Tilda Swinton, Dakota Fanning, or not Dakota Fanning, Dakota Johnson. Oh, yeah. Um, it, is, and, and yeah. it is countdown until I see this movie for sure. Sure, like, sure. Yeah, and then fast forward through the audition sequence, and I think you'll be okay. Um, well, cool. And those were our top ten uh, films of the decade, and then also our honorable mentions. We will accept gentle, uh, gentle arguments, but no criticisms. Yes, I mean, do do what you want, but also we might just ignore any actual criticism. Uh, also, movies are, you know, art, and art has. It has both objective and subjective opinions, so you might disagree, uh, which is fine. Um, you can find us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at dydydydydhpodcast. Uh, thank you, Martha, for running both of those accounts. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook by searching for Did You Do Your Homework or Did You Do Your Homework Podcast. And you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. You can find us on uh, anywhere fine podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, etc. You can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, 
where I'm talking politics and pop culture. Martha, how about yourself? Follow me everywhere at Magical Martha. Cool. Um, you've already plugged your tiny letter. Do you want to plug it again? Uh, yeah. Like I said, Magical Martha everywhere, including tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. <laughs> um, cool. I'm, working, I'm working on a top 10 books of the decade, which mm. is uh, much harder yeah, than I, the movie list. Yeah, I feel like I've, both, I've either consumed more books or I've just forgotten them more than I'd have a really hard time making that uh, list. Um, uh, and then, Martha, you also run a second podcast that gets released on this very same feed on alternating Wednesdays. True. It's called Love Ya, and me and friend of the podcast, uh, Marin, watch teen rom-coms that are streaming, and then we talk about them. Mm -hmm. And what do you do in this upcoming episode, the one that will drop uh, the week after this? We will be watching the Netflix original adaptation, The Kissing Booth, starring Joey King. Mm -hmm. Cool. And our next episode, we're going to be talking about that fun combination of Christmas and horror. Uh, Christmas is kind of the only holiday that has uh, some crossover appeal with another major holiday, namely Halloween and horror. So we're going to be looking at, um, you know, the nightmare uh, before Christmas sort of idea. Um, speaking of, I myself am assigning The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is the, the funnest of the three movies got going on. Um, definitely t handling the idea of Christmas and horror with a lighter glove. Uh, we're going to be joined by returning guest of the show, Joe Caputo, and he is assigning the movie Anna and the Apocalypse. And meanwhile, Martha is assigning the movie Rare Exports. Uh, now, none of us are assigning the movie Krampus, but if you wanted to go ahead and watch it, uh, I'm definitely intending to see it as part of some extra credit for this. So we will see you in two weeks to talk about Horror Christmas. And until then, class dismissed. Cool. Right, I'm gonna go clean my guinea pig cage. All right. I hope they had a good time at the vet. <laughs> <laughs> they did not. <laughs> you know things that animals love doing: going to the vet. Uh, you can hear you can hear Ivy screaming while they are trimming her little toenails <laughs> oh, all the way in the waiting room. Oh, Ivy.